This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. My name is Mo Stewart, I'll be your host. I'm joined by Matt Addison and Charlotte Coates for what is going to be a very interesting discussion, I think. I know that we're in the middle of the international break and sometimes we've got to try a little bit harder to find something to talk about, maybe get a little bit funky. But in the words of Biggie Smalls, I live for the funk. And you know what? Yesterday, while watching England against Andorra, something came to me. I looked at that team sheet. I saw Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jordan Henderson, Jude Bellingham as a three in midfield. And I thought, hmm, I wonder... I wonder, could we ever see that for Liverpool? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to break it down and look at each of those three and discuss whether or not it's a viable option to see them play together in the Liverpool midfield. So I think, Matt, we should probably start with the skipper, seen as he's the one who's already in the Liverpool midfield and he's just signed a new contract. So... Or by all intents and purposes, it looks like he's going to be there for a while. But we have to address the elephant in the room, which is his availability over the last season or so hasn't been great. Now, there's a certain element of us kind of almost compromising on what he wants to maybe secure his signature for at least the next two years. But do you think that it's a little bit more up in the air of how long we're going to have Jordan Henderson for? I think it, the idea will be to, to have him for the, the duration of that contract. I think there'll be a plan. I know there's been a lot of talk of sort of injuries and, and stuff like that. The first thing I'd say is there's a couple of midfielders whose availability has been even worse than Jordan Henderson in that period. So that's you know a point that we have to, to sort of make as well. But I think there's been a big sort of thing made of Jordan Henderson when these reports of a potential exit and, and all of that sort of stuff came out what six, seven weeks ago. The big idea was that he didn't want to, to just have this as a, a token gesture. He wanted it to be that he was a key part of this team. He had a very clear, defined role for the entirety of the contract that he ends up signing. And I think that that will be the case to an extent. But I think there's there's got to be an acceptance from him, from Jurgen Klopp, from everybody really, that it might be better that there will be certain games that he doesn't play. It's not going to be this season. It's not probably going to be next season, but maybe three, four seasons down the line that is going to come into play and you're not going to see him every single week. There'll be certain opponents that that, that will be the case for. And yeah, I'm sure Jordan Henderson doesn't want to think about that, but I think even in his own head, inevitably that will happen at some point. And of course he's played in that number six position before we've seen him do that, play the, the more withdrawn sort of role. And that is something that for a long time, Jurgen Klopp actually thought was his best position. He had to fight to, to put himself into the number eight role. So it's something that he's done before. He knows he can do it. Liverpool know he can do it. And it's not something that, that worries me, to be honest. I think the availability thing is not ideal. You'd want him to, to be there every single game because yeah. he is that sort of player that, that you want him on the pitch. But even if you only get sort of, you know, even 50% of, of the games by the time he's 35, I mean, James Milner is is in a similar sort of position. Nobody's expecting James Milner to be on the pitch every single minute of every single game. Mm. It's it's not massively different, to be honest. So, yeah, there's there's been a lot of questions asked, but for me, it, it makes a great deal of sense. And just to, I know I'm going on a little bit here, but I think the the Genie Wijnaldum thing is is what those questions have stemmed from. Yeah, if we couldn't do it for for him, why are we doing it for him? 
I just think there's there's a difference. It's Jordan Henderson, it's Liverpool's captain and, and all the rest of it, really. That is a, an interesting point, though, because uh, Matt's right, Charlotte. The genie thing has been brought into this Henderson conversation simply around availability. And I do agree with a lot of what Matt said. I don't think we're necessarily right now in the era where Klopp's thinking he might have to pick and choose. But one thing I did want to flag up, uh, we mentioned last season, uh, he, Jordan only made 28 appearances in all competitions, which you can say maybe that's just one bad season. He made 40 the last two. But in the last four seasons, he has had three separate injuries. So while we may be looking at an era where Jordan Henson is still in the team sheet when he's fit, Klopp is still going to have to start thinking about how he puts together a premium team without him. Because we have seen when he hasn't been on the pitch, particularly last season, there was a bit of a vacuum in terms of communication and in terms of tempo. So it's still a problem that we probably will have to solve at some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, of course. Um, signing signing a midfield enforcer could be like to, to replace him, to replace that voice, that, that experience that he has in the middle could be important for, for Klopp in the next couple of years because no matter how good Fabinho is, like he doesn't come across as the most like captain material sort sort of player. Um, obviously, you've got Van Dijk at the back. He's now 30. And then in the midfield, once Henderson is in and out of the side, you're missing that that voice, like you said. Um, our players up front aren't the most, don't seem like the most vocal of players. Um, and it was noted when when it was behind closed doors that mm-hmm. when when we had our players out, our key players, that we were we were quiet. And um, having having a team that doesn't doesn't communicate as much, it's not it's not a good sign, really. No, and I think a lot of the time when we've seen Milner uh, in the team, particularly in the last season, but even earlier on this season, a game against Norwich, maybe that's an admission from Klopp that those things really are more important, maybe more important than we as fans sometimes acknowledge. Yeah, especially when you've got a young lad in the side like Harvey Elliott. Um, 18 years old, you need someone next to him who's going to be guiding him through the game. Like he's he was playing on the right side with Trent, who's only 22 himself, very mm-hmm. experienced, but he's only young. Um, with Trent and Salah, and Salah doesn't seem the most vocal. Like he's he leads by example. So having someone in the midfield who's going to guide you through, who's who's going to give you, who's going to have a go at you if needed, is mm-hmm. is important for the young players. I think it is. And I think Jordan Henderson is important in that role. It's kind of what helped everybody come to an agreement around this contract, because I think you were right, Matt. We were quite scared at times, but I don't think there was ever any real chance of him leaving, particularly at this juncture. The club understand how important he is. I think what we're coming to see in terms of midfield is, is his role replaceable in a world of rotation particularly with an eye on some of the big games, without necessarily losing that drive, that tempo. Is there someone else within the squad you think can maybe do a, I don't know, a Henderson-like job for the games where maybe we don't need him, particularly if there's something where we have a short period of time and a lot of games to play? I think it's a it's a really difficult question. I think there's, there's kind of... There are players there that you can see taking on that role. We saw Curtis Jones, for example, was one that kind of did the more Genie Wijnaldum type role. I'm still not 
convinced that that's the way to get the best out of Curtis Jones, to be honest, long-term. I think he's better further forward, given a bit more license to, to create, as we saw you know, when he played for, for Liverpool's youth teams. But I don't know, he's he's the one that you'd kind of, of look at in terms of, of stepping up and, and being vocal and confident and, and all of that sort of thing. I think it's it, it's really difficult, though, because whoever it is that comes in is going to take a couple of years to, to get used to that. I mean, Jordan Henderson, when he first came to Liverpool, it wasn't instantly that he was the captain materially. It took a few years for him to grow into that role. So, I mean, that that's part of the reason, to be honest, why I think it's a bit of a disappointment that we didn't see Liverpool go out and, and buy a midfielder this summer. I think they're probably going to end up having to buy two next summer. And it's just, you know, another 12 months, as well as the fact that you've got two in, in one summer rather than splitting them up. It's it's just the fact that it's another 12 months for, for that player to have potentially bedded in this season with a view to that becoming the case in future seasons. So it, it's just sort of put that that process a little bit back, I think, for, for me. The, the ideal situation would have been to bring in someone who was, you know, 21, 22, but with the capabilities of, of doing that role long-term this summer. Liverpool haven't done that, of course. They must have a plan in place for that. But I think it's it's something that you're not going to see straight away. You're not even a player like Curtis Jones, who's been here a long time. He's yeah. obviously bedded into this Liverpool team now. Even with him, it's going to take another couple of years before he feels that that's a role that he can really do properly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to be cocky and gobby, but it's another thing to be cocky and gobby and to know the team system inside out and to be able to give the right information at the right time. So. Yeah, a couple more years learning under Hendo's feet. I'm sure Curtis will grow into that role. But in terms of another midfielder coming in, I do agree with you. I do think Liverpool have caused some problems for themselves. What I wonder, potentially, with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach having a terrible start to the season, potentially maybe out of Europe, by January, you never know. We might try and bring that one forward. But that's for another show. That's for another show. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We will move on to the second official Liverpool player out of this trio, which is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, Charlotte, we've been hearing the Trent in midfield shouts pretty much forever. He did start in the Liverpool youth team playing in midfield. It was then kind of encouraged to go to right back because there was a clearer path to the first team. He's since taken that role and ran with it, become one of the best in the world at it. And yet there always seems to be this element of people who want to put him in the midfield. He's done it once for Liverpool back in 2018. I feel like that was a little bit of the end of the Lord Mayor's show kind of a game where it didn't really matter. Uh, And then obviously England played Andorra. He didn't really pull up any trees in either of these games. Now, this is a small sample size. I'll give him some credit for that. But how do you feel about it? Do you think this is unnecessary? Do you think this is a natural progression for Trent or are you just happy where he is? Um, I don't really feel the need to move him because, especially in a Liverpool shirt, because we're, we're getting so much out of him in that position where he's he's picking up the ball and in that right-back position, you get more time on the ball than you do in midfield. In midfield, you've got to, you don't get as much time. So from right-back, he's, he's able to pick a pass um, and now, as we've seen this season, his position is evolving. Like he's coming inside more into the midfield role, as if he were, as if he would be playing in that role anyway. Um, so he's he's evolving his game. He's picking up deeper positions where he can cross the ball. Um, but there's also the problem that if if they did move him into midfield, then 
who do you put at right back? You'd have to go out and sign someone to replace what we had at right back because we've got, like you said, we've got one of the best in the world. So if it, it, pretty much whoever we put there, other than Trent, it's going to be a downgrade. So if you've got someone that good in a position, then why move him? I'm clearly of the same opinion as well. You can probably tell by the fact that I was doing this all the way through what you were saying. Um, Matt, I, I, you do feel the same way as well. I mean, he is an absolute jewel at right back. There's no denying that. Yeah, the, the whole the whole system for Liverpool is built around it. I think it makes a lot of sense, actually, for England. I know it didn't quite work against Andorra, but I think for England, with so many right-backs in Gareth Southgate's squad, I think it makes a bit of sense to, to put him in midfield and, and potentially do that job. But for Liverpool, there's there's no doubt in my mind, as long as Jurgen Klopp is, is Liverpool manager and the team is built around getting the ball to Trent and, and to Robertson, you're not going to move him. You're not going to put him in a different position. It would just it would require a complete change of, of setup and a complete change of of thinking, really. And it would be just a gamble. You, you're not going to get a better player. You might get a similar standard of player in mm. midfield rather than at right back. But he's the best right back in the world for me. I don't think you're going to get necessarily the best midfielder in the world. So it doesn't make a, a huge amount of, of sense. So yeah, it's it's not something I can see. The only thing. That, that possibly would change that is if a new manager came in and, and wanted to play slightly differently. I've wondered for a while, you know, maybe Steven Gerrard would look at him and think maybe he could make another version of, of himself in that role. But then you think, well, you look at Rangers and I think it's it's James Tavernier that plays at a right back for, for Rangers, basically modelled on what Jurgen Klopp has done with Trent. So even that, it, it doesn't necessarily make a, a huge amount of sense. So I think it's it's highly unlikely that he would move there anytime soon. If he does do it, it's probably going to be the, the second half of his career rather than the first. And yeah, it's it's not going to be something that we see at Liverpool, certainly not for, for the next few seasons. No, the, the England question is really interesting, isn't it? Because it's something that a lot of Liverpool players have fallen by in the past. How do you get them to rep, replicate that great Liverpool form on an England stage? But the answer, or should we say the issue is always the same, i.e. they don't have the Liverpool system at England. They don't have the players around them at England. So you find yourself trying to get into a situation where you are trying to shoehorn someone who's clearly a talent into the team. Um, Charlotte, looking at it from a purely England perspective, they do have a lot of midfielders. They do have a lot of kind of creative kind of ball-playing midfielders, a lot of whom are playing further forward who may end up regressing into the midfield. Whereas with right back, there are a lot of them in the squad at the moment, or a lot of names around the squad. Trippier's coming to the end of his career, as is Kyle Walker. Aaron Wambasaka's probably still a level below. It kind of looks like it's going to be Trent or Reese James for the next four or five years. Is is it almost he should kind of concentrate on that battle rather than trying to get involved in the other battles in the other areas of the pitch? Yeah, definitely, because he trains there day in, day out. He, he knows that position like the back of his hand. He's he's breaking records for the assists he's getting from that position. He's being named in World Elevens. Um, like he shouldn't just be a, na- a name in the conversation for the position. He like last in the summer for the Euro squad, it was like, oh, will he be included? It should have been a, it should have been a foregone conclusion that he was included. Um, but. People seem to think he's he's shaky defensively, which I don't see personally. Like every left winger of no, he's he's done he's done well against when Liverpool won the Champions League. Um there was never a problem. But 
it seems to be picked up that he can't do it defensively. Um, but I, I don't see it as being the case. I want to pick up on that as well, because it's something that annoys the hell out of me as well. I think what happens is that Trent's forward positions mean that opponents will try and attack him, attack him behind him, Matt. I think that's what normally happens. But when you've got the recovery speed of Trent and more often than not the defenders alongside him, you can kind of almost game plan for that and still not be a mistake potentially by Trent, because let's not beat around the bush. He's not going all the way that high up the pitch because he wants to. It's because he's being told to do it. Yeah, exactly. It comes back to that game plan, doesn't it? It's That's the difference, isn't it, between England and Liverpool. With Liverpool, the system is set up so that Trent doesn't have to be in the usual right-back slot. He's got Fabinho who can come across, Jordan Henderson. If he sees Trent's gone, he'll sit in sometimes and, and fill in that role. It's that sort of rotation that you get with with Liverpool. We know, obviously, that, that Jurgen Klopp sets them up in that specific way. And at times it can look like he's a little bit exposed. But, yeah, as Charlotte says, there, there's no real evidence. It's just something that's been said enough times and it's kind of become true. And even on the, the commentary of the game yesterday, it was it was referenced fairly early on that he's maybe not as good defensively and, and this sort of thing. And it's just, it's one of those things that I just, I don't think it'll ever go away. It's been said so many times now. I think some people just just believe it to be true, even even when the evidence isn't necessarily there. I think I think a lot of it, to be honest, is based on the game against Manchester United. I think it was Marcus Rashford, wasn't it, that got past him a couple of times. He wasn't dreadful on that on that day. It wasn't his best performance by a long shot, but that was, what, three three years ago? Long and we're still time. talking about that now. I mean, there's, there's been plenty more opposite performances since then that, that kind of get discarded a little bit, I think. It's one of those things. I mean, for starters, I generally take into watching England games without listening to the commentary just for my own sanity. I should just to everybody do the same. But the whole Trent can't defend thing is one of those things where when I hear someone say it, I'm basically silently judging their football acumen from there on in. So be warned, if you're in a conversation with me and you bring that up, that's what I'm thinking. Now, before we move on from Trent, one last thing I wanted to say, Charlotte, is that it's noticeable that a lot of this kind of clamour for Trent to be in the midfield position hasn't come from Trent. Like, we've seen Gary Lineker seemingly take up this um, cause on his own. But we've mentioned before, Trent's got to the top of the world in his position. He's seen, he's basically revolutionised maybe along with Danny Alves, how people view the right-back position. is no longer something to be shunted out to right-back. I mean, we all remember the classic line from Carragher and Neville. It's like, no one wants to grow up to be a Gary Neville. Everyone wants to be Trent now. He very much is at the forefront. So, I mean, is this kind of pointless? Does he even want to do it? Yeah, exactly. Like, if if he had a problem with playing at right back, I'm sure he'd say something. He seems like a strong enough character. And, and like you said earlier, um, he did play midfield in the youth sides. So if that, he'll have seen the output that he gives to this Liverpool side from that position, from right back. So, like, why? why there's just no need to move him. Like, he's, he's probably the, the best attacking fullback I've seen since Danny Alves. And he was like, I, I was thinking at the time, I'll never see anyone like him again. Yeah. I remember when Barcelona played, they played against Arsenal at the Emirates and he was just popping up everywhere in the midfield and you're thinking, like, you're not going to see that again. But then Trent's come, Trent's come along and he's only 22 and he's all, he's just going to get better. 
He is. And he's going to evolve the way we think about position. He's already beginning to evolve his role. We've mentioned on other shows now that he's starting to become more, he's starting to work out how to appear in central areas without necessarily having to start or always be in central areas. And I think it's arriving without being suspected. It's going to be key to him continually making an impact. So Trent, if you're listening, lad, stay where you are. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Now, here comes the fun part. We couldn't leave you without a little bit of transfer tittle-tattle, even if the window has closed. Now, any of you who were on social media during the game would have seen that literally everybody of a red persuasion was dribbling and drooling at the thought of Jude Bellingham lining up for Liverpool. Matt, I'll give you first crack at this. Um, he is a very, very talented player. And as you mentioned earlier, we do still have a, a large space, let's say, in our midfield, which could be quite easy to be filled with him. Before we go any further on this, are we setting ourselves up for pain or do you think he is a viable option as a transfer target for Liverpool? Look, I think it's viable in terms of Liverpool could do it if they wanted to do it. I just think it's possibly one of those that if they were going to, they probably would have had to have, have taken him straight from Birmingham rather than than letting him go to Dortmund first. I think with a lot of players, as we've seen with Jaden Sancho, probably with Erling Haaland as well, if you let them go to, to Dortmund, the price is then going to be enormous, isn't it, to, to get them out. I think they paid £25 million to begin with, could rise to, to £30 million to get Jude Bellingham over there, they're going to want at least double, if not more, you know, for, for Bellingham next summer or, or whenever it is that he moves. I mean, that's the other thing as well. They only tend to lose one player each season, don't they, Dortmund? Next summer, it's going to be Erling Haaland because of the release clause. Does that mean that, that Bellingham won't move next summer and, and might stay for, for another two years? I don't know. But yeah, it's it's one that Liverpool can do if, if they really think that he is, you know, a transformational player that's going to come in and, and be their midfield for, for the next few seasons. I'm sure they wouldn't wouldn't mind going out and, and spending 70, 80 million on him if that's what mm-hmm. it took. But it's just a case of, of Liverpool working out whether that is the case or not, really. I think there's there's been inevitable comparisons to certain players. He's spoken about mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard. There's, there's lots of reasons for it to, to be the case, but there is a, a little bit of me that thinks maybe he's kind of the next Jaden Sancho in a sense of Liverpool mm. fans become obsessed with him for three seasons and then he goes somewhere else. I mean, I should have come to you second, really, because I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> OK, let, let, let's, 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 let's ignore Mr. Sad Sack for a minute there, Charlotte. Like, allow me to dream a little bit more. Um, I'm really interested in this whole idea of the transformer or the transformative signing because we have seen it in the past that these are the kind of players that Liverpool say, you know what? It doesn't sound like the kind of thing we normally do, but this time it's worth it. Very rarely do we ever think of those players being English. Now, part of that is because we as a country tend to overhype our players to the point of ridiculousness, which we may or may not be doing here. I just want to play that clear. But also it's because the price is normally so inflated when it comes to English players. Mm. But we do have an issue with our homegrown quota. It is something we could do with having more homegrown English players in. So can you see a world where these things line up and Liverpool say, you know what, even if we do have to wait the extra year, as Matt says, because of Haaland, it's worth the wait? 
yeah, I, I can't see a way where, where we're not in for him. It's just like what the feel be. But we've got to be interested, surely. With You see that him and Henderson seem to have a good relationship um, in the England squad. Like he, he seems to maybe look up to Henderson and we know his links to Gerrard. So it's hard to imagine. It, it is hard to imagine a world where Liverpool wouldn't be interested because you're thinking like the homegrown quarter, Henderson's getting, he's getting older, Milner, has he got a season left? How, how long is Oxley chamberlain going to be at the club? So bringing in English talent, someone like him as well, where you'd think every, like the problem is, every every big club in Europe is probably going to be after him. Um, but you do feel that he will, like, he, he's got to come back to the Premier League, hasn't he? Well, to, back to England, play in the Premier League, because he, he's going to be a monster, isn't he? I remember when, when we missed out on Deli Alley, um, and he like he were like lighting it up at Tottenham, and I was gutted that we didn't sign him. But now you're thinking of Bellingham, and if you saw him in a United shirt or something, oh, it'd be horrible, wouldn't it? It just it wouldn't be nice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need that. <laughs> no, but Bellingham is another really interesting comparison because I think he was another one whom, at the time when they were in the youth football, there was lots of talk of links to Liverpool. Liverpool didn't pull the trigger on that one, and for a long time, lived to regret it. Um, obviously, he's still young now. Maybe his career hasn't necessarily kept up in the way that he'd wanted, but mm. he's one whereby, if you think about the Liverpool midfield, that when he was in his peak, he would have definitely got into it. He yeah, would have definitely yeah, done definitely. some work for us. Um, okay, Matt, we'll, we'll take aside from the fact that Liverpool's main may have already missed the boat with him. I'll, I'll take your point. But in a world where we are still in for him. And as Charlotte mentioned, there are going to be lots of other clubs all around Europe looking for him. And I think that maybe if you look at the fact that he's already in the England squad and probably will be a regular over the next couple of years, means that the draw to come home to England isn't going to be the same as it was with Sancho, because I feel like with Sancho, that's part of the reason he came home was to get into that England side. He's not going to have that problem. So, what is the big Liverpool pitch? What is it that we can give him that others can't? And what is it that we're going to be telling him to get him in that red shirt? I think you, you sell it to him on the, the basis of, of Steven Gerrard, basically. He's the one that he's referenced plenty of times without being asked. So, yeah, come and, and be the next Steven Gerrard if you want. Come and, and be in that Liverpool midfield. Play alongside Jordan Henderson, who... Again, as, as Charlotte says before, you know, it's it's a player that they clearly have a relationship with each other. They clearly have got to know each other a little bit with, with England. I'm sure that'll remain the case for, for the next couple of years, whilst Henderson's still involved in, in that side of things. And I think that's that's the way you sell it to him, is that he can come in and, and basically do what do what he wants with that Liverpool midfield for, for the next 10 years or so. There's obviously lots of other talented young players coming through. Lots of, of them are English as well. You think of, of Harvey Elliott and Cade Gordon and, and players like that. Again, these will be players that, that he will know from the England youth system and, and that sort of thing. So I think it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that hard, to be honest, to, to sell the idea of, of him coming to Liverpool. I think he'd be, be fairly, fairly easily convinced in terms of, of that. He's obviously still young enough that after having done Dortmund, he could come to Liverpool and, and still have one more move in him at some point, maybe if he wants to, to go to Spain and and you know, maybe Italy or, or wherever it might be. I think there's there's enough time there to, to sort of put a, a plan in place for him. 
allow this Liverpool team to, to be built around them. But yeah, it will come down to the fee. It will come down to, to whether Liverpool are prepared to, to put on the table what Dortmund would need. But yeah, there's there's no there's no doubt in my mind that if Liverpool have got the money to do it, they've got the desire to do it, they probably would do it because there's no reason that, that he wouldn't want to, to come to Liverpool. There's no reason not to. I mean, we've all kind of tried, well, you guys have tried to preach an element of caution. I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. I just can't help it. And I do every time I watch him. And those of you who don't regularly watch the Bundesliga, I would recommend you watching the Bundesliga because it's fun, but also because he's tearing it up on a weekly basis. So, John Henry, Tom Werner, if you are listening, hiya, thanks for listening. Get it done, please. So, I think to come to a conclusion, we are sure that at least one of them will be in the Liverpool midfield. There's another that probably shouldn't be in the Liverpool midfield. And a third, who if he is, we're all going to have a party. I think that's where we're at, right? That's fair, yeah. That's a fair assessment, that's it. (laughs) So there we are, Liverpool. We're giving you a little bit of advice, as we always like to, as to your plans. We don't know what your plans really are, but if you needed help, we are here to provide it. If you out there listening to this show have your own thoughts on the matter, maybe you completely disagree with us, maybe you think there's someone out there even better suited than Jude Bellingham for that position, let us know. I would love to hear that last one, by the way. Otherwise, we'll see you all again. Charlotte, Matt, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.